Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and how you're listening to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast a part of your day. I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. I hope all of you are well and safe out there. And how are you, my man? Good, man. You know, we're doing a doing a remote out here at uh, out here in beautiful, sunny, mile high Denver, Colorado, man. So it's a fun time. Everyone's hyped up for uh, the home run derby tonight. Hyped up for the All Star game tomorrow. It's gonna be a good time, man. I'm excited. It's definitely definitely gonna. It sounds like it's gonna be a great time. And speaking of the home run derby, let's just start there. And let's just talk about the contestants. Most notably, Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's the runner up last. You know. The last home run derby, he's not in it. Kyle Schwarber was supposed to be in it. Great bat. He's out with injury. So we have an interesting field here. So the the eight contestants we have here is Shohei Otani. We got from the Angels, Joey Gallo from the Texas Rangers. Pete Alonzo, as Paul Heyman would say, the reigning and defending home run champ. Matt Olson of the A's. Salvador Perez of the Royals. Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals, Trevor Story of the home team Colorado Rockies, and Trey Mancini of the Baltimore Orioles. And to to me, Chris, uh, I'll start with you. Uh, Who do you like in this field? So, you know, there's interesting picks all around. Um, And then there's also some not-so-familiar faces. You don't see any uh, any Aaron Judges, uh, any... um, uh, Giancarlo Stanton. So, you know, it's, it's nice to see a different, uh, a different picture out there. Uh, but you know what? There, there's two people that really stand out to me. That's Otani, uh, from the A's and, uh, Pete Alfonso from the Mets. Um, both of which, um, I'm, I'm pretty fired up. If looking at, uh, both of them, those are my two favorites. And, Overall, uh, I am actually I'm I'm gonna pull for the reigning defending. You know, in order to be the man, you got to beat the man. I, I I think that Pete Alfonso can go two for two. You know, we didn't get an All Star game or a home run derby or anything fun last year, uh, so I think that they're going to definitely have some fun tonight. Um, also, you know, some things to consider is that the ball travels. So number one, Coors Field. Um, for whoever hasn't been here before, um, is a very, very hitter friendly park. Um, it's not the deepest. Um, there's some real, real easy parts to go yard in. Also, you got to factor in, you know, we're going to, we're going to be nerds here since it's the sports and the world. Uh, we're going to get a little nerdy and do some science with you. We're, 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 we're up here, man. You know, um, I flew in this morning and as soon as they popped the hatch on the plane, the, the pressure difference from from sea level to mile high, you definitely notice in the air um, that ball travels so much easier in thinner air. Plus, on top of that, it's warm up here. So we know that's a contributing factor uh, like right now. Uh, I'm, I'm in downtown Denver and the thermometer is telling me it's 94 degrees out uh, and it's it's mid af- it's late afternoon. So it's definitely going to be a warm one. Um, then on top of that, they're not putting uh, the balls that they're using tonight. They're not putting them in the humidor like they typically do. So you might have some juice balls that are going to go out and get some get some yard. Um, they're they're I could easily see. Uh, so so far, the furthest home run in the stadium has been hit by Giancarlo Stanton. It's I think 504 feet, 
if uh, memory serves me right. So I definitely think that we could definitely see something along that possibly exceed it. Um, warm temperatures, high skies, friendly park, um, and then just some boys that have some absolute bats at hand. Um, I think it comes down to Alfonso and Otani at the end, and I think that's just going to be an outright shootout that I'm looking forward to. Uh, you, you know, Chris, uh, you know, I I think it's interesting because I, I really like Otani, and you made the point about the balls being juiced because, listen, Coors Field is the one ballpark where if you're a pitcher, you hate to pitch there be, because it feels like every – Every other pitch, it feels like it's going going yard or it's going somewhere in the outfield. Not a lot of not a lot of ground balls you you see being hit in Coors Field. But it's interesting, you know. I I like Otani, but I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna put a sleeper in there, and that's and to me I, I toss and turn. But uh, Matt Olson from the A's is interesting because my prediction is is that I think. When I look at how they get the bracketing, because as you know, they do the bracketing system. You know, it's the typical like one eight five four three six. You know, kind of like the NCAA. You know, cut in half bracket. Otani's the one seed. He's facing Soto, and I think you know Otani. I think can can easily get through there. Alonso has to face Salvador Perez. That could be an interesting sort of matchup there. That could go really fifty fifty there. And. But when I look at Matt Olson's path to the champ, you know, to the finals, it feels a little bit easier because he's facing Trey Mancini from the or you know from the Orioles, and no disrespect to Trey Mancini, but I feel that that's a matchup Olson should win, and then face the winner of Trevor Story and Joey Gallo. Now, to me, Chris, I said two people, but three people. I, I think Otani, Olson, and Joey Gallo has a great bat. He plays. He plays in. He plays in Texas, in Arlington, and that stadium. You know, I'm not gonna say it's super hard to get home runs out, but it's kind of like a medium difficulty, if that makes any sense there. But with that being said, I lean toward a an Otani an Otani Olson final, and it's not a knock on Pete Alonso, who I. It's not a knock on him. I just feel we have to factor in the ballpark, and we factor in, Chris, who they have to face. And what's important here about the home run derby that it's a marathon, not a sprint. So, so it's one of those things where which person will have enough at the in the tank, you know, to get through two rounds before they even get to the final. Like last year when it came to Vlad, you know, the last time we had a home run derby when it was Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Pete Alonso, it was a shootout. I think that I think that was at the progressive field in Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so when I look at this home run derby, I look at this field, I go, I look at Otani and I go, listen, he leads baseball, all of baseball with 33 home runs. And it's hard, you know, Vegas, you know, likes him. I like him. I think, I, I don't know if you'll agree. You, I think. You know, we we know I, what we know for sure is that we can agree on that Otani will be in the final. I think that's a somewhat safe bet. I think of how we feel. I I just think that who he faces is going to be interesting because we we have to look for the person and for the batters to understand that this is a this is a marathon, not a sprint. It's kind of like when you look at it's not like the three point con. We look at other contests where you're racing against a clock. So you have to shoot up those threes really quickly. 
in baseball, you know, the home run derby, it's about, listen, you got to hit, get enough to get by. So, and you're not really necessarily timed per se. But I, I do like, I do like Otani. And I expect a lot of, you know, long balls. So, you know, if, you know, from what I heard, chicks do dig the long ball. So, if they're, if they're going to be, you know, listen, so you're going to see a lot of long balls if you dig that sort of thing. So, speaking of, as I mentioned earlier, Otani, you know, I want to talk about something that happened, you know, today, recently, with Stephen A. Smith. Now, I think I have an idea what your opinions on Stephen A. Smith are, Chris. I think I can fairly assume without, you know, I can, I, I just, let's just say I can assume. <laughs> and I'll just leave it up there before I, before I go down the, the rabbit hole Alice in Wonderland there. You know, Shoei, and he was talking about Shoei Atani. And now, the initial question was, that was given by Molly Karam, the moderator, was, if it's good for Major League Baseball, that Otani is the top attraction. That was the question, Chris. And I'm going to read to you what Stephen A. Smith said. So he said, quote, not to me. He goes on to say that the fact you got a foreign player that doesn't speak English, that needs an interpreter, believe it or not, I think contributes to harming the game to some degree when that's your box office appeal. Now he goes on to say it needs to be somebody like Bryce Harper Mike Trout, those guys. He says, unfortunately, at this moment in time, that's not the case. And then to kind of to wrap up what he said, he said, when you talk about an audience gravitating to the tube or to the ballpark to actually watch you, I don't think it helps that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter so you can understand what the hell he is saying in this country. And that's what I'm trying to say. That was all Stephen A. Now, if you don't mind, Chris, I'll kind of take the, if I can just start off with this. Oh, please, go ahead. Because you already know what I'm going to say is going to be salty as shit. <laughs> so, hearing Stephen A. Smith say those things, I, I think there's a lot of things. It's like a, it's like an ogre has layers, like onions has layers to break it down. Now, where Stephen A. Smith has to understand is that, listen, he's a basketball guy. Like, I, I, he's a basketball guy. I'm not saying he can't chime in about, you know, listen, he's getting paid $12 million a year, so you might as well have him talk about other stuff. Here's where the problem with me and Stephen A., and I think a lot of people this, and I went on Twitter, and I kind of went back and forth with people. What people have to understand about what, what Stephen A. Smith said is, is that it was borderline xenophobic, and here's why. Because, first of all, Otani can speak English and he can speak Spanish as well, Chris. Maybe he can't speak English as fluent, but he can speak English. Let's be clear. Let's settle that point right now. He can speak English. Number two, when he's basic, when Stephen Smith is tying speaking the English language to being the number one player in a sport like baseball, I think it's ridiculous because you look at how diverse baseball is in my opinion it's the most diverse sport and the nba is a very close second in diversity and faces shoya shohei otani is the face of baseball is the face of major league baseball he endorsed his products and chris in two other continents chris that's not called north america <laughs> okay so 
he has crossover appeal. The problem with what Stephen A. Smith is saying, and this is what really gets me, is that you remember some guy named, oh, what's his name? Ichiro Suzuki. You remember that guy, Chris? You, you know what? I, I have a very, very vague memory of him. Uh, you know, I also have a, a guy named um, Big Poppy who could barely speak a word of English as well, or Hideki Matsui, or uh, Jorge Posada, or Mariano Rivera, uh, or a slew of other Hispanic and non, I guess, white English-speaking players that were superstars that I really didn't concern what language they spoke as long as they spoke that they could hit the ball or pitch the ball or catch the ball. That's the language when I'm watching baseball. That's the language I care that they can speak fluently. Right. And and to me, Chris, your talent determines your marketability. That And then when Stephen A. tried to apologize, Chris, he, he didn't even apologize. He was basically doubling down what he said and talking about marketability. Now, Chris, it goes back to the point that you just said, which is a very good point. Your talent is your marketability. Your talent is your marketability. So what's your like look at Michael Jordan. Look at that 92 dream team that went over to to Spain. Now they couldn't speak the but that didn't stop the dream team from being huge, Chris, over in Europe more specifically in Spain. The problem I have with what Stephen A. Smith is saying is what makes the comments look how they are is, is that he completely ignores the fact that Major League Baseball is, like I said, the most diverse sports in the NBA, the close second to have the face. What gets me with what Stephen A. Smith's comments are is, is that and I'm just going to read back, Chris, just the one line that really got to me is, is that he's simply saying, I don't think it helps that the number one face is the dude that needs an interpreter so you can understand what the hell he's saying. Listen, when somebody is this talented, let's just do a crossover, Chris. Who, who the biggest action star to me, The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Chris. Now, do you think people care over in these con- in countries he travels to, outside of North America? Do you think they care that they he does not speak their language? Not a damn clue. Uh, I doubt it. I think and, that they see him acting, and they're like, he's good at what he does, and I like it. Exactly. That, that, that's the point I'm making with Stephen A. See, Stephen A, and this is what people do sometimes, it is that sometimes they cover up how they really feel like Stephen. This is not the first time Stephen A. Stephen A. Smith has said things egregious, egregious things. It's not the first time. Maybe it won't be the last. What happens with when the comments that Stephen A. Smith is saying, and not only the out of line, Chris, but he doesn't understand baseball. I think you and I have a greater grasp of baseball than Stephen A. Smith does. Because we've both played, you know, even growing up, we played, we played baseball, we watched baseball. Not saying we're geniuses at baseball, but Chris, one of the things that I think you and I can agree on is that the faces, that, like you said, big poppy. Like I said, I was a huge Marion Rivera guy. Even though I'm a Cubs fan, I just like to see Marion Rivera just close games. I wanted to hear Inter Sandman. I wanted to hear Metallica when he came out there, and that's what I knew. This game's over. 
when you hear Enter Sandman ringing through Yankee Stadium, I knew it was over. It's like the Undertaker with the music back in the day. You're exactly. like, yeah. It's like, yeah, like it's it's a wrap. But my point is, Chris, is that we have to understand that words matter. And people are saying, oh, you can ignore Stephen A. Smith. Here's why, Chris, people, I can't ignore what he said. Because, Chris, like I said, he's the probably one of the biggest faces, if not the biggest face, at ESPN. His words matter, Chris. It's not like the person in the mailroom or the person who's working, you know, somewhere. Lights down in a trailer, yeah. Right. It, it's He's the face. He's essentially representing your company. And what gets me is, is that when people say his words don't matter, I don't think people understand the gravity of what he's saying. He is saying, essentially, in my opinion, that, well, we should put Mike Trout and Bryce Harper as faces because they speak English. When, let's just be fair, Otani is better than both of those guys. And, like, with Trout, you could make a case for that. To me, he's definitely better than Bryce Harper. Like, I know Philly fans may not want to hear all that, yeah, but, well. well, facts are facts. You know, I guess Philly will be the new Cleveland this year. So, <laughs> so I guess, like, Orange is the new black, Philly is the new Cleveland. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you, you get the You reference. already know we hate Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> the whole the whole state of Ohio is our shit pot. And the thing is, Chris, I want to throw this up before I continue. When, when on the number viewership, those who listen, Ohio is really high. It's I think it's like the second, third state percentage who listens to the show. Do you think it's like a like a battered wife thing? They just keep coming back for for more abuse. I think they come back because they know I'm not a bad person. They yeah. know what I they know what I say is not personal because they're like, okay, maybe he has a point. Like it to me, it's not factual. As, as as Denzel Washington said at training day. Jake, it's not about what you know. It's about what you can prove. Where's your evidence, Jake? And that's how we what? operate. And when, when we come and I, I go on my, my shitstorm tangents of why Ohio State's a garbage team, and I bring factual evidence to it that they play cupcakes all season and they get handed a play. I don't like them, but it's facts. And unfortunately, facts hurt people's feelings. And that's why we're in the situation we're in. But I'll let you finish on, uh, on Stephen A. before I go ahead and uh, – Take a, take a bite out of this. And and just to kind of put a bow on how I feel, we have to understand Stephen A. Smith's words. Because to me, Chris, to me, I always tell people, it's never tell and show, it's show and tell. Because, Chris, I could tell you something, Chris, but, Chris, you're going to want to see it. If I tell you something, you're going to want to see some sort of proof or you're going to see something. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, if you have ever had show and tell in your school, and like, you know what? Oh, I have a, I have a tiger. You're telling people, but guess what, Chris? People are going to want to see that tiger. Yeah, let me see that fucking tiger, man. And then, and that's why it's show, that's why it's show and tell. You show the tiger, and then you tell people. And then people don't want to listen. But I say, it, but this is, Stephen A. Smith, a classic example of telling show versus show and tell. Stephen Smith is telling you how he feels, and then he and, and then on the back end he's showing you that he doesn't really understand baseball. He doesn't understand that his words matter because of the fact. If just say to the fact, and this is a problem that exists in a lot of places, because I'm a person who believes that 
when I always believe what you say. Look at just like when we do this podcast, I listen to the words because we sometimes we have to listen before we speak. And I heard every word that Stephen A. Smith said. And in my mind, I tried to rationalize and Chris, I couldn't because of the fact that I got into a similar discussion about what happened to the England players, you know, and, you know, what happened in the uh, and the penalty kicks losing to Italy. It is that, look, I'm not going out here and putting everyone in a box. That's not my job, Chris. That's not my job. But if you fall into the box, then that's your own problem. Right, exactly. If you just happen to just be in the box that I'm talking about, then and, it, and you defend it, then that's not on me. And people who are defending, and there are people who are defending what Stephen A is saying because they don't understand that Ichiro was marketable and he had an interpreter. Okay. So when you make a comment like Otani, these, I said, and for, like I say, Otani had a speech where he spoke English, Chris. He just doesn't speak it good, and who cares? Right. It, it, it's like what gets me in that the takeaway to me, Chris, was that he could speak English. That, that's to me the takeaway. Like you say, it may not be great, but I'm not going to fault Otani. Okay? That's just like, listen, no one faults these stars who are big in other parts of the world if they can't speak their language because they're not marketability. Because you use marketability as, a, as an excuse. Stephen A. Smith covered up marketability with the fact that he has a problem because people don't want to speak English. And he doesn't understand baseball. Baseball is a global sport. It's a global sport. Over the years, the faces of the sport have been of different races and different creeds because because to me, talent is the marketability. And this is the point where I say back in the day, I guarantee you, like I'm going to use Jesse Owens, Chris. There were people who didn't like Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens was raised in the 36 Olympics in Berlin. Was it racist? Yes. But you know what? When he came back home, he still dealt with it. Yeah. He still dealt with it. So, so it took time for people to realize, man, he was talented. No, he was always talented. But you're covering up with an excuse. Jesse Owens was still marketable. He was the biggest face, arguably, in track and field and got no love. And then like, now it feels like Shohei Otani is not getting love from Stephen A. Smith because he can't speak English. I'm not trying to compare one and two. Y'all can draw, you guys can draw your own conclusions. But as I close the argument and turn the floor over to you, Chris, I want people to understand is, is that imagine when you work at your job and you hold a very high position in your company. Understand that your words matter. Even if you don't think, oh, I'm just saying, no. People are going to say, hey, isn't he or she, aren't they the vice president of the company? Because, Chris, that trickles down. Because the vice president is the, is the face of the company, one of the faces of the company. Stephen A. Smith is, is one of the faces of ESPN, if not the biggest face. His words matter. That's why people like me are upset. Because even when he tried to apologize for what he said, Chris. It, it, wasn't, just, even, it wasn't even sincere. That was... Like you said, he doubled down on it. He 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 put five hundred on the table and said, "Fuck it, I'll put another five hundred. Right. He yeah, he put a couple more hundo on the table, and I'm like, <laughs> he's going all in. So 
you know, before I get more upset, Chris, what are your thoughts? So here's my thing. I've said this once, and I'll I'll say it again, and I'll say it more times. Stephen A. Smith is a giant hypocritical piece of shit. Um, and, and there's no way around it. So here here's my beef with with this situation. Um, Smith. So number one, what he said was blatantly racist. So I promise you. And I'm not trying to start a a, a giant race war or anything like that. If that was a white broadcaster that would have said that, ESPN would be set on fire. CNN would be encouraging the fucking world to burn down. And that guy would have been fired or on his way out the door already. But, again, I'm not trying to play that card, but here we are. The other thing that really bothers me with Stephen A. Smith, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, um about like equality and racism and things like that. And what really bothers me is there's people like Stephen A. Smith that everything he doesn't like is racist. And that's one thing that truly, truly bothers me. And, and I think we dove into it about the difference of actual racism and you just not getting your way and not liking a situation. And uh, not, and, and again, I'm not denying that racism doesn't exist because it is uh, here. Here's a very, very fine proof and example of it but my problem is is there's so many people like Stephen a smith that go out and cry wolf about racism but then look at the words in the actions that he says it's 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 just it's fucking despicable at the end of the day um and it's and it's hypocrisy and that's why i have a hard time when people you know rant and rave and carry on about the subject because i know the subject exists but the problem is, is that it seems to only exist when it's convenient for a specific agenda or a specific person. Otherwise, it just gets swept under the rug and it just it just pretends it doesn't exist. Um, now, I don't know. Do you know who Mike Freeman is, Ladarius? Uh, the name sounds a little familiar, but you, so, uh, Mike you Freeman is the leading sports journalist for USA Today. And, you know, that's not one of my favorite um uh, newspapers because of the amount of bullshit that they post. Um, however, he, so he posted a tweet um, about seven hours ago. So Stephen A. Smith should be blasted for what he said, the same way that a white broadcaster would be. His words are unacceptable. What he said was xenophobic and racist. And black people, dot, dot, dot. We need to be consistent in our reactions to these types of comments. Don't move goalposts. Now, again, like I said, I'm not trying to perpetuate or or start anarchy, but this is one of the things that I talked about a couple of weeks ago when we when we kind of dug deep into this on on more of the the world side of the show and not so much of the sports. Um, is that if if you're going to hold a certain so that that would be like me saying, uh, you know, I'm not going to do a podcast with a black guy. You know, that's like that's blatantly racist or when like these ignorant people be like, oh, like, and, and I've heard this before. And like it, it takes every ounce of me not to just put my fucking fist through their head is you're really well spoken for a black guy. Like I've heard that before. And I'm like, what? Like, what the fuck does that even mean? Or when people are like, wow, like I figured you're white, like, you know, you'd be kind of racist or whatever. But, you know, you're actually cool. Like that's been said to me before. And I'm like. Like what? Like like what in the holy hell does my color have to do with if I'm racist or not? Like like 
And then for Stephen A. Smith to say that the face of baseball shouldn't be a guy with an inter- uh, an interpreter. I don't I, I like like I said earlier, I don't give a shit if the guy speaks Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, look at these, whatever. I don't give a fuck if he's from Mars. I don't give a shit. Well, maybe from Mars because he might that might be unfair because they might have extra muscles and shit. Um, I don't care what part of planet Earth they're from. I don't care what race, what color, what creed, what sexual orientation. What I care about is if they're a hitter, if they can hit the fucking ball, and if they're a pitcher, if they can pitch the fucking ball. I speak baseball, and those are the two parts of the languages that need to be spoken fluently. As a diehard Yankees fan, I think you damn well know. I mean, I literally went two weeks ago and saw them at Yankee Stadium, and I was out last week at T-Mobile Field in Seattle. Um, as as a diehard Yankees fan, honestly, one of my favorite players was David Ortiz from the Red Sox. That man barely spoke a word of English. When he did, that shit was broken. But I didn't care. I didn't care that Mariano Rivera could barely speak English or uh, Hideki Matsui or Suzuki Ichiro or the the slew of Dominican, Haitian, Cuban, South American players that come from the Caribbean or somewhere is, you know, uh, in Central and South America, I don't care. I care if they play. Now, if they're garbage, then I care. But but again, again, I don't care that they don't speak English. I care that they suck at baseball. So I think Stephen A. Smith, honestly, the, we want to talk about racism and equality. ESPN needs to put their money where their mouth is, and they need to fire Stephen A. Smith. I want him fired. If the, I promise you, and again, I'm not trying to start a race war. If that was a white broadcaster – his ass would already be out the door with with a with a severance package, and just like Mike Freeman from uh, uh, USA Today said, it's unacceptable, and you need to be consistent on the types of reactions. If if you have people that are demeaning a specific culture, if it's a white man demeaning a black man, a black man demeaning an Asian, a Hispanic demeaning a a a, a white man, whatever, it's racist all the way around. Stop trying to move the goalposts to fit your agenda, people. That is one thing. That just outright infuriates me. So I hope something happens to Stephen A. Smith. Nothing more than I would love to see that loudmouth piece of shit be unemployed. That would bring such warmth and happiness to my heart because his mouth always writes checks that his body eventually is not going to cash. And as much as uh, as I want to see Alfonso win tonight, I on, I honestly hope homeboy goes out there and cranks uh, just sh- that that anger is fuel um, for Otani and. I hope he does something with it. I hope he he proves Stephen A. Smith wrong, and I hope that he ends up without a job. And that's that's how I feel about it. Y'all know that I think he's a piece of shit. I said it yesterday. I'll say it today, and I promise I'll say it tomorrow. The guy's an asshole. Damn. <clears throat> One of the things that you said, Chris, and I just want to piggyback on before we transition, is is that when you talked about when you know when people talk about certain when how surprised and shocked at all. Chris, that's happened to me. Where I literally was, I was in school. I think we, I think, especially started elementary school. Where people thought, well, because I was black, I was supposed to speak a certain way. And I'm like, well, this is how I speak. I don't know how people are supposed to speak. I didn't know that. And then middle school, say, and in high school, and it's something I don't apologize for, but I make I say that to say this, Chris, is, is that I've always believed in consistency. I think you've known me a long time and you know that. Oh, yeah. Now, what Stephen A. Smith said 
And let's just let's just take color out of it for a minute. What he said, listen, people have a lost their jobs, been suspended or fined for what he said. And like I say, I hope ESPN Disney does do the right thing. Does do the right thing. Does do the right thing. So at the end of the day, Chris, I, I am I saying it's just like the whole situation. If you're not familiar with, with the Rachel Nichols, Maria Taylor thing. Now, do I think that Rachel Nichols should should be canceled? No. I think what happened there is, hey, we have to be consistent how we treat people. If 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 people are saying, well, we have to go after Rachel Nichols, then we have to go after Stephen A. Smith, Chris, because I feel what Stephen A. Smith said. He's the face. He's the face of the company. And it's not acceptable. Because basically what he said would get him fired from a lot of other jobs. If that if he was just working a regular Joe Schmo job uh, at a, oh, I don't know, uh, a retail store, uh, a law firm, an accounting firm, anything like that, his, his, his ass would be fragged. Right. Absolutely. And that's my point is that if he was at any other job, he would be out the door. Because to me, I'm not the biggest Stephen A. Smith fan in the world, but this is another example of Stephen A. Smith can say things like this, Chris, because you know why? He feels that ESPN's not going to let him go. They're not going to fire him. He essentially says these things with these hot takes and, and, and these, you know, gotcha type things because he knows he can't be touched. It's essentially like, you know, he feels like he has diplomatic immunity, essentially. Well, that where, diplomatic immunity needs to go somewhere because it's just it's it's disgusting. It, it, it really yeah, is yeah. because he's the same guy and, and he's done it. Uh, you know, people don't like LeBron James because he's black or this or that. And he oh, and again, I hate using the term race card, but he likes to sling that shit when it fits to his agenda. But then he's out here making all sorts of racist comments towards uh, a, an Asian baseball player. You know, I, I bet you if uh, uh, it, it was about basketball and said that, uh, oh, you know, that that guy is too dark of a shade of black to be playing basketball. Stephen A. Smith would have had a, just an outright fucking aneurysm. And here we are and nothing happened. So ESPN and all this politically correct cancel culture and same thing with Disney. They went after my girl Gina Canaro from um, The Mandalorian they went after her for something way, way, way less, and then they don't do anything to Stephen A. It's come on, Disney, you're be you're better than this. Put that put that PC bullshit to use, not just when it fits an agenda. Yeah, and and I'll just say if we put a bow on this segment is is that I just like I say, my biggest thing is when you're dealing with people, when you're a company. Even though some people may have greater positions than others, you have to treat them equally as a whole when they say things or do things that make the company look bad. Because if Stephen A. Smith was just, let's just say, a writer, a staff writer, or if he was just the editor or something like that, Chris, he would have been fired. He would have been out the door because, like I said, any other company, his comments, 
get you out the door. So all I'm asking is for ESPN, Disney to be consistent. It's just that I'm not saying, am I saying fire Stephen A? Listen, but what I'm saying is, is that look, let you need to do something to make it clear where you stand as a company because he's your face, Chris. Yep. He's the kind. He's the kind of guy where you see where he's twirling the thing. He's the face. He's out there. He's the face that essentially might possibly run the place. And he feel he says these things because he feels there's nothing going to do about. They're not going to do anything, but make a stance. Be clear and be consistent. Yep, that's if, all. If you're, if you're gonna talk about race and you're gonna do this, it needs to be clear across the board. And, and the best thing that ESPN could do right now is set an example and say racism is not okay in our network, and make an example out of Stephen A. Smith. Right, because because there's nothing because he had a chance to redeem himself, Chris, and he did. He doubled he did. down. He fucked he it doubled. up. Yeah, because like I said, like you said earlier, with the great analogy, he took out a couple hundo, put it on the table. You're thinking, oh, he may walk away from the table. What did he do, Chris? He came out and double. He put some more. He put some more money on the table. So that that's my thoughts on that. And transition to our, our final segment is to talk about Poirier and McGregor three. Now, I'll preface this by saying this: I really felt that McGregor needed the win more than Poirier. Yes. Because of the, because of what we saw in Poirier McGregor 2. I felt that there was more pressure on McGregor. So my logic was going in, being a you know, a betting man, is that I, I would bet because McGregor was the underdog. And I think that's a role he kind of relishes to a certain degree. And he went out there, Chris, and it just didn't look good. And and I think we talked about McGregor and the concept of, you know, when the mystique, per se, may wear off. I believe, Chris, after what we saw. I think the mystique is gone. <laughs> we saw Saturday night. It's like, and if you're Dana White, who, who I really like, very good business. He's looking at that fight, and someone brought up a very good comparison. It's very Ronda Rousey-esque, and I like Ronda Rousey a great deal. It feels like, Chris, when you lose that vulnerability, it feels like, going back to the word marketability, how can McGregor get, he needed this win to make himself a contender again. Forget champion, just to be a contender. And what we saw, Chris, Poirier made it look like child's play. And and like and like we all know about the devastating, you know, the gruesome leg injury McGregor had. But my biggest problem, Chris, was that after the fight. Yeah, he he turned into a real classless piece of shit. I'll I'll uh I'll just I'll just come out and say it. And I'm a big McGregor fan, but he you know, I was I was really hyped up about this fight. You know, one thing that McGregor does do well is the the pre-fight the the psychological battle that he that he induces on on his enemy um he 
he gets into the mind of of the people he's fighting and it works and other times it doesn't this is definitely one of the times it didn't um but the post fight was i you know i was shocked but then again like it's mcgregor so sometimes you're just like uh you know and again not that it's okay to threaten to kill somebody so number one i get it like in context when you're talking about fighting you know like i'm gonna kill this dude in the ring or the octagon or whatever i get that but to start like making death threats like right then and there and especially towards a man's wife that's that that shit just ain't healthy at the end of the day man that 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 wasn't healthy at all i think it was terrible for mcgregor's image i definitely as a mcgregor fan lost a, a massive deal of respect for him um to do that it was just I, I i was honestly i was shocked i was i was let down and i was shocked and and what you touched on before about um you know the, the this was a this was a must need win for mcgregor to stay relevant i think in the ufc in general um the way it ended, for all of you that don't know, he ended up snapping his tibia. Um, and good God, that was a nasty injury to watch. He went full spaghetti leg. Um, he So his trainer came out, I think, last night. Yeah, it was like yesterday afternoon, came out and said that he injured that leg in training camp, and that might have been a massive contributing factor. The problem is, if you have that, that critical of an injury they should have called the fight off if he had a, that bad of an injury also you can clearly see that um that one of the kicks that uh poirier checked that one from then on mcgregor had a different stance and a different look on now i give it to mcgregor he can be hurt and he can hide it um however once he went to the ground mcgregor is really not a submission guy and I think Poirier has a significantly better ground game than McGregor. I think that's a unanimous thing that everybody could agree on. Uh, when he started attempting submissions, I knew something was up. When they stood back up, and as soon as I saw him launch off that leg and come back, I saw it roll, and I said, oh, shit, this is done. Um, I thought that it was going to get a clean knockout, but the bell saved him, and that's when the doc came in, and, and he was all spaghetti leg. Um but it was a very classless act for McGregor, you know, and, and the, the pure irony of this is if you watch any of the pre-fight interviews, uh, he, he told Poirier that he would, you know, someone was going to leave that fight on a stretcher. Uh, the irony of, of McGregor leaving the fight on a stretcher was, uh, was pretty ridiculous. And then him talking about Poirier's wife, like, Oh, she's in my DMS and this, that, and the other. You know, that that's just one thing you don't fuck with, man. You don't fuck with a man's wife. You don't fuck with his family. Um it was it was just disgusting. I, I you know, I I I hope McGregor recovers well and I hope mentally he gets back into a situation where he's gonna be a little less piece of a shit than he was. Um if that's how he's gonna conduct himself, he has no business being in the UFC. The UFC is a business at the end of the day. Um, there are, are still, just like any other sport, there are adolescent-minded individuals, children, who watch that. Now, granted, the UFC, some people argue, oh, the UFC is a very violent sport and kids shouldn't watch it. Kids see way worse. They play way worse on Xbox and PlayStation and shit. Um, 
you know, and if kids have an interest in combat sports and combat martial arts, let them explore it. You know, that it could be a very financially beneficial thing for them. It could be something that could help them stay in shape, maybe curve uh, depression or give them a line of self-defense. If they get bullied, they can administer an ass whooping on somebody if all else. Um, but the way to circle back to McGregor, it was just a piss poor way to handle himself. Uh, it was disgusting. The way that Dustin Poirier did handle himself post fight and interview, I think he, he proved that he could be the bigger man. I don't know if I was in Poirier's shoes. Someone's talking about, you know, the, the, the mother of my kids like that. I don't know if I could, I could stand still and, and not break his other leg or his face or his neck or everything. Uh, so, you know, kudos to him. Um, you know, the rest of the fight, I don't know if you got a chance to check out the rest of the fight. Um, the One of the fights was real interesting. It was Greg Hardy. He played for the Carolina Panthers, I believe. Um, he fight uh, uh, Tia Tuvias. I can't pronounce these damn Australian names. That was that, that was a quick fight. It was fun to watch. Uh, uh, Tuvasa got got a, a beautiful counterpunch knockout. Um, that was fun to watch. And honestly, the bantamweight fight that opened the night, um, Sean O'Malley and Chris uh, Montanel. Uh, that got fight in the night, and it's just it's a cool story. So the guy Chris, the dude the dude that had the yellow hair, or green hair, or whatever color it was, cool story with him is that he picked this up as a hobby, started training real seriously, and now he's a professional UFC fighter. Uh, he still works for a paint factory in Massachusetts, and and he, what he made in a fight bonus is pretty much his year salary. So I like hearing feel good, warm stories like that I, I don't know what you want to call it but to hear about a young man that is is stepping even though he lost he he still did good sean o'malley's he, he's not one of the most favorited people in the ufc but the man can fight he is incredibly talented and uh i i was i was very impressed with it so kudos to that it was a good fight card all the way through um i'm happy i didn't actually have to pay for it uh someone else is kind enough to host the fight and i i tagged along and watched um, I was hoping to see a longer fight between McGregor and Poirier. It just, uh, as good old Jim Ross calls it, uh, an outright slobber knocker. But, um, you know, karma, when you, when you say you do bad things, karma always catches up. And I think karma visited Conor McGregor, uh, on this fight. Hopefully he learned his lesson. He comes back a little bit more humble and a little less of an asshole. I get it. You want to market your fight and that's how you do it. But don't, don't threaten people's families, man. That, that shit's disrespectful. Um, that's what I got on the McGregor fight. Yeah, and you know what, Chris? I think that before we before we put a bow on the show, uh, only thing that I'll just say this about McGregor is is that it's it kind of ties into what I said earlier when I talked about marketability. There was a point in time where no one could touch Conor McGregor, not just in the ring but outside of it. He's arguably one of the most marketable UFC fighters. And you could, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on that. No, I mean, honestly, you got guys like Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz who launched the sport. Ken Shamrock, uh, yeah. Forrest Griffin, uh, Rich Franklin. You know, those were the guys, Rampage Jackson, Rashad Evans. Those were the guys that ushered in 
the 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 there there was no personality. You know, you look at like Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell. They used to be close friends, and they became enemies. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't like a lot of drama. You just went into the cage and you beat the shit out of the people. Ken Shamrock would just go in there and just go fight people. Forrest Griffin, uh, Rich Franklin. You know, you really didn't start seeing some of these personalities until like the the Ultimate Fighter came out, and you got to see these guys outside of the octagon for the first time you know like the the beef that like rashad evans and rampage jackson had on their season um you know or uriah faber those guys you know now that ufc has become major because if you think about it let's kick it back let's just even kick it back 10 years ago espn wouldn't acknowledge the existence of the ufc they wouldn't speak of it it was like it was a, a like a cultist uh uh like like witches in the 1600s like they just thou shall not speak of it now espn has uh, mma talk shows it's it's crazy how mainstream this sport has become and a, a part of it yeah i will give conor mcgregor uh, credit is given where credit is due and i'll give him a significant portion of it in this mainstream era, if you think back 10 years ago, Twitter really wasn't as big as it is now. Facebook, MySpace, whatever, even earlier, let's say 15 to 20 years ago when we were in high school. I mean, if you think about it, when the UFC was on when we were kids, 15, 16 years old, this was the height of Randy Couture. Um, Forrest Griffin was just coming on scene. Uh, Tito and, and and Chuck were at their all-time high you know, feud uh you know and that's when it just kind of started getting popular if you think back to when we were like young kids like mighty Morphin power ranger age kids the ufc was like it was like porn you had to like look around make sure nobody was watching if you wanted to rent a video of it or like if you had it at a house like your friends would quietly kind of like no one spoke about it. it was it's like listening to howard stern Back in the day, like no one, everyone liked it, but no one talked about it. And to from then to now, how mainstream it is, and it's crazy how big it's gotten. But and I get it, Connor, you 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 you're you you are a showman, but don't forget you're a fighter, and you forgot like you're you forgot that you're a fighter. I think there, dude, and I think he needs to remember that, and I think he just needs to dial down the asshole eighty percent. You want to be an asshole, go in the ring and be one. Go knock someone out. What he did to Jose Aldo, thir- it's the fastest knockout in UFC history, 13 seconds. Go there and do that to, to, to the, your next person. Then do your thing. But in the meantime, just get your shit together, get healthy, fix your leg, and just stop acting like a turd. Yeah. And, and, you, know, and you know what? And I'll say this before we end the show here. This episode... I think, Chris, sometimes we have to remember the bridge that got us to where we are in life. We have to remember that, and it's a motto that I stay true to me to this very day, is that you stay humble, stay hungry. Meaning that understand that sometimes you're going to, people are going to try to elevate the ego. They're going to try to boost it up. But you, you stay humble. Because no matter how high, getting on that ladder and getting, you know, high, getting high on that ladder is is great, Chris. But that fall, that fall is going to be worse. Because you have to to get back on that ladder. 
And hopefully that ladder is still there because you got to remember how you treated people on your way up to that point. And I think somewhere along the way, Chris, and you see it happen, not just with the Conor McGregor's of the world, but with other athletes and, and some, you know, and other people, is that we have this propensity and proclivity to forget where we started. Conor McGregor forgot that. And he's great on the mic and he's great on everything. But what you've seen over the last two years or so, Conor McGregor, is it's something beyond UFC. I think that Chris, he, he's been writing those checks. And guess what? When checks don't get cash, Chris, they bounce. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happened to Conor McGregor. Ideally, I want to see him back, but he has to get back mentally first. I think understanding that losing back to back. Now, when he lost, you know, and, you know, when he lost the second time, he was humble, Chris. He was great, and then all of a sudden, you get this, and you're like, it's it, it makes it. He he's no longer a top. He's no longer a top fighter. I, I think the way he lost is what really got to him and yeah. broke him mentally. Yeah. It's one thing you catch a, a stray punch and you just get you get put you get put to sleep. You get in a bad position and get choked out or in a in a submission that it's neither tap out or break your arm. But to literally step out of a punch and and cleanly break your ankle off of your tibia, uh, I, I think he feels like shortchanged. And and he already said it wasn't a legitimate win. And you know he's going to be back. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he deserves a fourth fight. No, if he we, does, we, yeah. If I, he does, if he does fight Poirier a fourth time, I'm concerned of McGregor's safety right. during the fight. So to me, Chris, to me, Chris, who really wants that? I don't want a fourth fight. I, I don't because, like, like I say, it's just like with some movies where they, you know, that's a like trilogy, you know, a series. Like at some point, there has to be a bookmark to end it. Because, listen, the movie, The NeverEnding Story, Chris, I hate to break it to people, that movie was like an hour and a half. So, The NeverEnding Story, it ends. Just like, hey, certain things end, Chris. I think the end of Conor McGregor, listen, unless he really, really, really gets to the core of himself, I, I don't see it. But, but before we put a bow on this episode... Just a reminder to listen to this episode and every episode of the Sports in the World podcast on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcast. Check out the podcast on social media at Sports the World on both Twitter and Instagram. My Twitter is at Ladarius Brown. Instagram is at Ladarius double underscore Brown. And for Chris on Instagram, it's at it's Christogram. And for Twitter, it's at Chris no Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And, and no so it's easy to find. So so until you hear from again next time, I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. Be real, be you, be blessed, enjoy the all-star break. And we'll see you and we'll hear us again next time. See you.